Hello, this is Jeff Vanderstelt, Executive Director of Saturate and the host of the Saturate podcast. Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation. To the end that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission everywhere and every day. We believe this is going to require, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church is unified in a region, collaborating around five key initiatives, citywide prayer, leader health, disciple-making strategies, serving the city, and starting new churches and new kingdom initiatives. Presently, we're spending some time on the initiative of leader health. And more importantly, we're going to get to interact with one of my good friends who's had a huge impact in my life, Todd Wormers. He's part of the lead team of Tin Man Ministries, and he also directs the coaching that they do. He also, like many of us, is a pastor. He serves as a pastor at Powell's Chapel Baptist Church. And just as a kind of a personal introduction, Todd is is a friend, but he also has had a, a remarkable impact in my life. I, uh, a few years ago, started meeting with a coach from Tin Man on a weekly basis and then did a, a four-day intensive with he and another guy named Robin. And there were, there were six of us who were all kind of doing our own work there. And Todd played a really key role in helping me work through some significant pain in my life and helping me really find a voice to express my anger again over some things that were really, really painful and hurtful in my own heart and my own life. And so uh, Todd will probably forever be one of those men who I will point to as a man who had a remarkable uh, part to play in the transformation that I'm going through. So Todd, man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited for people to hear from your heart and um, really what it looks like to take their own personal transformation seriously. So would you tell us a little bit about yourself and some of the work you've been doing? Yeah, it's an honor to be with you and to uh, get the privilege to be with your listeners today. And so Jeff, I appreciate that time. I appreciate your your willingness and eagerness and also uh, the, the shared place to, to share what God is doing and what God's doing here at Tin Man and how he's uh, just using uh, broken people to bring redemption to the world. So uh, that's part of my own journey is a place of brokenness. Uh, I am married. I've uh, my wife, Jenny. I've got two kids, a sixth grade girl, which is terrifying that we just put uh, a daughter in sixth grade uh, and then a son, Cedar. He's uh, in the second grade. So they're grown up quick. But um, really, my journey uh, started really when I was 15 years old. There was a moment in my life that uh, I experienced a extreme abandonment. I was abandoned at an airport. And just in that moment of trying to figure out who I was, where I, where I come from and how to survive in the world, I, I found uh, really a, a massive addiction to lust and pornography. And uh, about two and a half years later after that, I was 15 years, 15 years old at an airport. And I remember having that feeling on the airplane. And I can't remember if I said it out loud or internally, Jeff, um, I will never feel this way again. Whatever I have to do, not to feel this amount of pain, hurt, loneliness, again, I'll do. And that's for me a cocktail of where really pornography became uh, the solution to that uh, vow that I took. Uh, and out of that, about three years later, by God's grace uh, in my life, He saved me. I was 18 years old, a senior in high school, and I came to know Christ in a radical way. And yet, a lot of things in my life took a, a change overnight. Basically, my language changed, my 
Some of my behaviors, my relationships changed. But the one thing that didn't change was my relationship with pornography and masturbation. <clears throat> and I, I, I never had the thought if I get married, it'll go away. If I do this, it'll go. I didn't have those kind of thoughts. But uh, I ended up getting the call into ministry at 18 and went to Bible college. And quickly in Bible college, I realized that's the sin uh, that is forgivable, but is highly rejectable within the Christian circle. So you can be forgiven, but if that comes out, you're kind of put on the shelf and left left to dry. And so that kind of created what what we would say here at Tin Man is a, is a 1 p.m. and a 1 a.m. person. So my 1 p.m., who I was in the classroom, who I was e- even in the church setting was this polished guy that had great gifts and God was using and externally people would have said, yeah, man, he's got it all together. But that internal world, that one o'clock, that 1 a.m. kind of guy that was looking at porn, trying to just find the answer that all of us look for. It's in the human heart. Do I matter? And do I belong? And that moment of rejection back at the airport, the answer was you don't matter. You don't belong. I've been searching for that. Uh, I was searching for that ever since. I left left Bible college, had some great opportunities, ended up at a small church um, in South Carolina toward my my wife, Jenny. And we began to to live life together. And uh, really, I found this place of what I would call uh, abstinence from porn and masturbation in the first several months of our marriage. Uh, But then she began to work and um, she began to have long days, so 12, 12 hour days. And so I'd get home from work and that place of loneliness crept back in. Uh, and for me, loneliness, if, if I, I'm honest, feels a lot like abandonment. Um, mm. And so my trigger of abandonment was triggered in that moment. And I turned back to the thing that had never abandoned me, which is pornography and masturbation. And then, so for the next three years, uh, it just began to go places that were, uh, I thought I would never go. Um, I was uh, just doing things that I thought, man, I, I'd never do. So um, just it was no longer just pornography. It became chat rooms and ballooned into uh, cyber sex with other people. And uh, by God's grace, um, which is uh, almost to the day, Jeff, when I look at the calendar, is when I checked into rehab 14 years ago. So 14 years mm-hmm. ago in August, uh, Jay, my wife, discovered everything. and. Uh, in her moment of clarity and her moment of courage, uh, she said, <clears throat> I had since left her home church, went to a mega church in South Florida and uh, was uh, their first student pastor. God and his providence, goodness to us. We just uh, saw growth beyond measure. We were one of the fastest growing churches in America at the time. And so my role began to, to grow and change with that. And so. Uh, three years in, I'm a college pastor of 350 kids, um, overseeing our entire student ministry, which was middle school, high school, and college. I had a team under me. And again, on the outside, it looked, I mean, I had come to the place I'd always longed for, but internally I was dying. And uh, I think God's word is so true and accurate. God disciplines those he loves. And uh, he had given me opportunities over the those years to get help and freedom and my shame and fear wouldn't allow there to be true confession to that. And then by his grace, that Saturday, it was a Saturday morning, uh, Jenny discovered everything. She, she said, you need help. And she said, you go talk to the elders. I'll go talk to the elders. And there was some debate and conversation, not, not much on her end, but a lot on my end that I wasn't going to go get honest. And she got up from our uh, TV room and walked to the front door. And I was like, Oh, this, 
she's serious. She's going to go get help from me. And so in a moment of being found out, not a moment of courage, not a moment of like, you know, go Todd. It was in a moment of like, I'm going to get revealed. And so I ended up going to my elders, uh, talking to them. And within 48 hours, I was on a plane uh, to, to rehab, uh, which I'm now here in Nashville. And so I was there for 90 days and I thought I was going for pornography. And what I realized was uh, porn was the solution to my problem. The problem was trying to run from my heart. And what I was running from was that place of loneliness and hurt and shame and the fear of abandonment. And so, you know, what I discovered in the church was they're going to deal with the behavior, but they're not going to deal with the root. So they'll deal with the fruit, but not the root. And so going into recovery, um, I began to really deal with the root of the problem. And uh, I did that through going to uh, 160 AA meetings, SA meetings in 90 days. I was working a program. I had a sponsor. I was making daily phone. All the things that really were bringing me life. And I discovered in that moment and really I'd heard the verse a thousand times, probably even taught on it a couple, a few times, you know, John 10, 10, Christ came to give us life and life to the full. And I was for the first time discovering that place of life. And, uh, one of the most saving graces in all of that was the church in Florida. But though they did fire me, they sent me to rehab and they spent $60,000 out of their own pocket. And they uh, walked with me. I, I think, again, you, we don't hear stories like that. We hear stories like mine that the church uh, abandons the guy that needs the help the most. Uh, but they were committed to the gospel, committed to me, committed to my marriage. Uh, they really saw us, uh, what Paul talks about. We're the family. Because we're the family, they're going to help their family members. And so they did that. And uh, I did lose my job. I believe I needed to lose my job. I was not in a spiritual place uh, to, to lead others because I couldn't lead myself. And so by God's grace, uh, he, he took that from me. And for the next two years, I was cutting grass, uh, staying in recovery, getting my heart back. Uh, but then began to just have this uh, desire, passion to help guys like me. Uh, I wanted to get back into the local church setting. I wanted to get into the global church setting to say, hey, guys like us that fail, we can be restored. And we, we there's a time we need to go on the shelf. I believe that. But I don't think we we're supposed to stay on the shelf. When God calls a man and empowers a man for the gospel ministry, uh, I, again, I think there's restoration. I think there's redemption in that story. And, and the church did that for me. And it took me cutting grass for two years. Uh, but God began to work in my heart um, and just had a real anger and a desire to, to help men uh, find their hearts and uh, go live out of those. And so what we say here at 10 Man, here's what we do. We, we are here to help men see who they're created to be so they can go do what God's called them to do. Who are you? Now let's go. So we would say this. We want you to get you, be you, so you can give yourself away. I think so many pastors, they just have this desire to give themselves away but they don't have, they don't have themselves to give away. And so they're working backwards rather than forwards. And so out of that came, um, two years in, uh, I was going to all these SA meetings, AA meetings, and I was finding a place that was truly accepting me. Uh, I could go and confess, um, and they were accepting me, but I wasn't finding the gospel. And I knew the gospel is what would lead to freedom ultimately. But I was going to church and I wasn't experienced the admission and confession part the and the acceptance part. And God just began to say, these two can coexist. 
You can have a place mm-hmm. of honesty and openness, and you can have a place of the gospel because the gospel is the only thing that's going to bring men freedom. Uh, again, I love the rooms of SA and AA. I think there's a place for them, but without the gospel, you'll have small recovery, but you won't have capital R recovery. I, I want men to, and women to have that, that gospel center recovery. And so out of that came a desire, and we started a, a local body expression, a 12-step expression of the gospel. And we got it from the Village Church in Dallas. Uh, they gave us all their material. That's another story I could tell a whole another hour on. And I came back, began to do that, and then God began to really reveal to me through uh, people I need to go back to school. Uh, I had enough knowledge. I had enough ex- experience of my own story, but I didn't have the training I needed to really help people. So I went, I started going back to school. I went to Trevecca and received my uh, marriage and family uh, therapy degree. From there, I met Jeff Schulte, the CEO, when I was in treatment. We've become great friends. And uh, eventually God called me from the church in Florida to Nashville to work at a rehab center. The rehab center I went to, another part of a full circle uh, with Chip Dodd. If you've seen the book, read the book, Voice of the Heart, that's his work. He's a mentor of mine. And um, kind of been doing that ever since been in this ministry of helping people find their hearts for the last 14 years. Uh, but, but that comes with a lot of my own work. I still work my own program. I still talk to my sponsor. I'm still working the 12 steps. I'm still in group meetings. So things like that. Um, and I'll get to this a little bit more. You cannot give what you do not have. And so I know for me, I can't give out of a place of, uh, shallowness. And so I, I've got to continue to stay in recovery and be in recovery. So that's kind of what I do and how I do it. Um, but our heart is this, we want to wash the feet of those who are washing the feet of others. So we're just here at 10 men to wash the feet of others. So mm, uh, that's, that's a it. bridge version of, of how I ended up in this, this chair. Man. Thank you, Todd. You know, one thing I, I do want to acknowledge, there's a couple of things that I want to just pull out of this, the story. I, I'm sure the listeners are thinking about this, but one, you had a wife who had courage when you didn't. Mm-hmm. And so just to like, just all the spouses out there, like love each other well and have courage when people need to get help. Yeah. Um, that was just a gift for you Two, Then you had the humility because you had to get help to, to go and do it, do the work. Like, um, you could have checked it. You could have got out of that program and said, forget it. I'm not doing it, but you stayed in it. I think that's a big deal. I think sadly too often, especially in pastoral ministry, people are like, I'm just going to get back to what I do and I'm going to get back to preaching. I'm not going to slow down. I'm not going to take the time. I'm not going to cut grass for two years. I mean, all of that was like, just, just remarkable um, that you took it that seriously. Um, that's one of the things that when I hear your story, I'm always so proud of for you and with you. And then I think third, a church that cared enough about you to say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to pay for this. And like you said, most churches just discard broken Mm -hmm. leaders instead of care for them and help them get the help they needed. Um, And so I just, yeah, I just want to, I want to highlight that because if you're a leader of a church um, you're very likely going to have somebody at some point, if your church has staff, that's going to need help and how we go about that because it is a picture of the gospel. Uh, sadly too often we deny what the gospel is like by the way we treat people who are in need. So, yeah. Part of that story is, um, they uh, restored me back in the full-time vocational ministry two years in. So I, uh, received their blessing back. I was 
one of their teaching pastors again. It is an amazing story that God, uh, I mean, the power of the gospel, if we believe in the gospel that it's redemptive, then it can redeem all things. And uh, that church was committed to the gospel. So, yeah, yeah very, so very good. Great. Yeah. Well, um, you know, one of the things that we are very committed to, the number one thing we're committed to with Saturate is discipleship. And, um, you know, there's, thankfully, there's more stuff being written on the nature of emotional health in our discipleship, you know, whether that's Gazero or new stuff by Jim Wilder and, and you know, Willard's work. Mm-hmm. And I know personally, as one who's been committed to disciple making ministries for 31 years now, the last two and a half years have been absolutely transformative in understanding my own emotional health and what that leads to in terms of my attachment with God and with people and how attachment plays such a key role in transformation. Mm-hmm. And so I know one of the things you not only have trained me in uh, as a, a fellow guide with Tin Man, but many others who you're training is this process of transformation and both what happened to us that leads us to the places where we get like you did where man that life doesn't work anymore uh, but then also that process back to our hearts and what transformation really looks like so would you just walk us through um what you've taught me in terms of this transformational yeah. process totally so for us this is kind of how we see humanity and how we get to the places we get to that we thought we'd never get to right and so um, but what I'd say is this, any leader, uh, it's the analogy of the plane, right? That when you're on a plane and they, the, when you're sitting down, you know, they tell you how to buckle your seat, but then they also give you the, they go through that whole mask thing. You, you got to put your mask on yourself first before you can put it on others. And there is a draw as pastors, as caregivers, shepherds, that we want to put the mask on other people first. So I would say this to you, this talk for us as pastors is, what, what are we doing to stay healthy so that we can go and help other people uh, be healthy? And what we want to do here is this. Um, I know emotions get a bad rap in the church and uh, having heart and feeling feelings. It's a bad rap. But I, I want to quote um, one of the greatest theologians uh, that, that wrote, I uh, would say many of the listeners have read or come across, John Calvin. Uh, for, for us reform guys, we're, you know, that, that's our guy. But this is what John Calvin, when he starts uh, the Institute says, this is how he starts his Institutes. He says this, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Our wisdom, insofar as we ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these two are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and give birth to the other. And then John Calvin, for the rest of the Institute, says, you got to have knowledge of man and knowledge of self. You got to to know yourself is to glorify God. To glorify yourself is to, is to know yourself. And so I think that's where we would say here at Tin Man is we want to help people know God and know themselves and know themselves so that they know, can know God. The way we do that is through what we call heart through eight core emotions. Um, if you haven't already, pick up the book, Voice of the Heart. That that book will talk your way through uh, that book. And so we want to say, it's not just about knowing God. You've got to know yourself. Therefore, you got to know your own story. you got to know where you come from. Um, and this is, this is how the 
this is what Paul says in Romans 7. You, you all know the passage well. He says, For I do not understand to know my own actions. For I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good thing I want to do, but the evil I do, I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Now, if I do not, I do what I want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells in me. And so Paul is saying, I have to know myself and know God, and I've got to know the sin that dwells within me, knowledge of myself, knowledge of God. But then we also know this at conversion, he, Paul says in Corinthians, you, you know, there's this new creation that's in us. And so now we are in this dichotomy. We have the sin in us. We have this new creation in us. And they're, they're at war. The, 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 man, the flesh and the spirit are at war internally in us. And so we have to come to, do we really believe the gospel? Do we know the gospel? Do we know the gospel for us? Do we know where it comes from? And do we trust the gospel? Uh, Ray Ortland says this about the gospel. God, through the perfect life, atoning death, and body resurrection of Jesus Christ, rescues all of his people from the wrath of God and to peace with God, with the promise of a full restoration as he created a, a created order. And so what we have to come to believe is there is a created order. Where do we come from that created order? We would say this, do you believe in the gospel and the order that it was created in? So we would we start with uh, and I can send it to you, Jeff, so you can send it to to Al. Yeah, I'll make it available. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, a PDF. Um, we would say this. The created order is what we would call. And I think all of us as pastors was called the Imago Dei, the image of God. You know, in Genesis one, he says, let us create them in our image. Well, what was the image he created us in? He created us for relationship with himself, relationship with ourselves, and relationships with other people. And so we're, we are emotional creatures that have, we're a relational, emotional creatures created for relationship. And so that's the Imago Dei. We, we have the imprinted image of God on us, all of mankind, all 7 billion people on the planet. That, that's not just exclusively to the believer. That's, that's for everyone, and we are to reflect God's glory to a lost world. And so do we believe in the Imago Dei? Do we believe that to be true about all of us? You, you hold the Imago Dei. So that's at the core that we see every human being that's been created in the image of God. Now, here's the tragedy in that. We also believe in a fallen, broken world. What happened? What happens in a fallen, broken world? In a fallen, broken world, because of sin by its very nature causes separation. Separation from myself, separation from God, and separation from other people. So because of that, every human being comes into the world with the Imago Dei, but the moment they enter into a, the world, it's a fallen, broken world because it's a fallen, broken world. They're already falling into a place of abandonment emotional, spiritual, sexual, there's already abandonment. And not that God has abandoned us, but we have abandoned God in our sin. We abandoned God through relationships. And so all of us experience that place of abandonment. But do we believe in the story that's been written for us? 
That's Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But man, how often when I sin do I not feel that? Mm-hmm. And then out of feeling that separation, do I live uh, in unhealthy ways? So we would say you have the Imago Day, you live in a fallen, broken world. And out of living in a fallen, broken world, uh, you have what we would call toxic shame. Toxic shame is the distortive narrative of how we live in that fallen, broken world. Because as a child, if you've ever worked with uh, or heard, when, I, when parents get divorced, the children automatically assume what? It's their fault. What did I do for these two caregivers to abandon me? So the internal world of a child is already experiencing an abandonment. So they're going to make up a story that I must have done something wrong. Something must be wrong with me. So anytime there's emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, sexual abuse, uh, any kind of abuse within the abandonment, all of those we would say is abandonment. Mm. Uh, and any sin is abandonment. The child is going to ask the question, what's wrong with me? So they're going to live with this place of like real, real toxic shame. Here's what John Bradshaw, the guru of shame, say says about toxic shame. I want every listener to to put on like these ears as they listen to their to their relationship with God, to their relationship with themselves, and to relationship with other people. This is what he says: toxic shame, that distortive narrative of how we live in the world. Toxic shame limits the development of self-esteem and causes anxiety and depression and then limits our ability to connect relationally. So toxic shame is the thing that is causing most of us, even on this call, not to help have the relationships we desire to have. And I would submit to all of us the relationship we must have. We must be in relationship because that's how God created us. Mm -hmm. We're created for relationship. But that distorted narrative makes it very difficult to have relationship with God, ourselves, and other people. Which then goes to the next place. If I have toxic shame, then we go to the, the next, what we would say, uh, circle. And when you see the, the, the graph, you'll see what I'm talking about. The next part of that is how the next layer of getting away from how God created me would be through this place of what we would call codependency or independency, or how, do we, how are we managing the relationships that we have? So codependency at its core definition, the clinical definition of codependency is, I'll do whatever it takes to keep the relationship. So I'll make sure you're okay, because if you're okay, then what? I'm okay. And if I'm okay and you're okay, then we can be in relationship. Or the flip side of that same coin is, and how we manage relationships, is I'm going to live independently of relationships, where it says, I don't need or want relationships. Therefore, I'm going to protect myself of being harmed and abandoned again. So codependency says I'm not going to get abandoned. Therefore, I'm going to make sure you don't abandon me. Independence says you're going to abandon me, so I'm going to abandon you first. But now we're Todd, in this. Todd, I want to stop right now just real quick just because I want to make sure I say something. I think, sadly, so many that are in some kind of pastoral or vocational ministry role and some cases are just saying, how do I manage relationships so people won't leave me? And ministry becomes the way I live in codependency. Or yes. they go to the opposite and they're like, I'm done with everybody. I'm going to keep everybody far from me at a distance, even though I'm still going to be on a stage preaching, but I'm not going to let people get close to me ever again because it's just too painful. I mean, I, 
and just as a pastor, like hearing this going, that's been, that was some of my stories. Just like, how do I manage this relationship through ministry or how do I just reject everybody because they, it's just too hard to be in relationship. So right. I want to pause there because man, I just think that, that, that needs some real flesh on it in terms of like, there's a lot of people listening going like, that's me. <laughs> yeah. So well, we saw yeah. here, um, not totally sidetracked from that, but in 2000, you know, right when the pandemic hit, we, we were, I mean, we were growing, but when the pandemic hit and churches shut down, the, I'll say this way, uh, this is crude, but when platforms shut down, mm-hmm. the platform shut down and the matrix was no longer seeing in the audience how it was managing relationships, uh, the, the number of pastors that just came to us out of, they would say it was burnout. They would say it was, you know, frustration, not sure. Like, but what it really was is they were coming to us as from a place of their, their codependency was finally exposed. Yeah. Yeah, um, because the, the pulpit can be a very codependent place. I gotta say yeah. the right things or not say the right things. I, I gotta like make sure the pews are full. If they're too full, they might be doing something wrong. Not full, full enough. I mean, so I, you know, yeah, I say that as a pastor, I can go up in the pulpit and man, I'm looking around like, am I entertaining enough? Am I stepping on too many toes? And so, you know, I think a lot of pastors yeah. do that role. It's like the addiction, which I know is what you're going to talk about next. The addiction got revealed and the drug got taken away. Like I, I didn't get to have my drug and now I'm going now, now I'm having like, like, it's like I'm deep. I'm going into detox, but I didn't choose it. (laughs) Yeah. That's how we manage relationships in the church and our homes, uh, either through codependency or independency. And, And here's and here's the deal. When we enter into codependent or in- independent relationships, we're really now entering into transactional relationships. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I've got to make, I've got to do certain things or not do certain things. And so it's not a true relationship. It's a, a transactional relationship. And God didn't make us for transactional relationships. God made yeah. us for intimate relationships. And there can be no intimacy in a transaction. Mm-hmm. What we would say, I think many of the writers would say, a transactional relationship is a contract, but God's called us to live in a covenant with him, ourselves, and other people. And so I think the contractual relationships were exposed, and we began to see people were not really in covenantal relationships. Yeah, uh, I think that was the exposure, which then led to a whole lot of what we would say this. When, when we can no longer manage, though we're trying to manage those relationships, we're exhausted. Codependency, independency leads to high level of exhaustion. And out of that comes this place of we've got to find relief for our exhaustion. So we go to what we would historically say, the church would historically say idols. What we would say here at Tin Man are uh, we, we go to addiction, that's drugs, alcohol, work. Uh, performance will go to anxiety. Anxiety is just our way of taking control or we go to depression. And so a lot of pastors came to us and have come to us with, with those three things, four things like addiction, anxiety, the, the depression. And so the challenge for us is as humans, well, how do we get back to how God created us? If it's, if the gospel is true, 
that in John 10, 10, he's come to give us life and life to the full, then how come so many of us are not living that life? Well, it's because we're medicating relationships and not truly in relationships. And so now I want to walk us back through how do we get back into relationship with ourselves, the Imago Day? We call it here the five A's, the five A's of recovery, uh, the recovery of the life God intended us to have so we can go do what God calls us to do. The, the first place of that would be we want to provide uh, another way to say it is the five A's of the gospel. This is, these five A's are the gospel. So the five A's of the gospel are, are this. We really want to help men find a place of admission. Historically, we call that confession. Confession simply means to agree, to promise, or to admit to something. Well, what do we want them to admit to? We want them to admit to the very thing that they're using to get away from themselves and away from having to manage. So, so you know, that's where James says it. He says, you know, we got to confess our sins one to another. And I just, I, I think so often in the church, we don't really have a true place of admission. Yeah. Right. Um. And I think it starts with us, the pastor. Hmm. Are we modeling admission? And are we doing it in our own lives? So admission. Yeah, I've actually thought about, uh, as I've taught on, on this more recently, uh, you know, a lot of people know that we're really committed to missional communities. And I've said, you know, our missional communities, first of all, start by being confessional communities. That's right. Because if they aren't confessional, then, then we're never going to get to transformation, which you're going to keep talking about. But it's like, so few people feel safe enough to just tell the truth. So true. Well, here's what we know. One of the ancient reformers uh, said this, um, and this is where we have to be honest with ourselves. He says, whatever the heart loves, the will will choose and the mind will justify. Hmm. Whatever the heart loves, the will, I mean, we believe in self-will. There's self-will. We'll go find it. And our minds will justify the behavior we're doing. So we just need a place to confess what our heart's desire really is so that we don't go to the will to justify our behavior with the mind. And so how yeah. amazing would it be if we had a church that would be honest about their desires? Mm, wow. Yeah. A true place of confession. Please. For so, and again, I think this is where the secular rooms They've captured it, and the church has missed it, uh, sadly. AA is a true place of admission. Like, you walk in there, and everyone knows what they're there for. Like, oh, yep, I'm an alcoholic. But we don't walk into the church with that same level of confession and admission. Yeah, we almost we walk in with the opposite. Hey, look at me. I've got it together. I'm yeah. righteous. I am right. holy. I do everything right. It's like, it's just the opposite in those rooms. <laughs> Which Jesus said, I, I didn't come for the, the righteous, I came for the unrighteous. He didn't come right. for the people who don't need help, he came for people who know they need help. Yes. And <laughs> and again, I think, I guess sad, but AA got it right in that place. And yeah. again, you know, people, it's you're not trying to hide in it, AA. Like, you go to AA, I mean, because you're an alcoholic. It's like, yep. So, it, like, it, it truly is a level playing field. We teach that all the time about the cross. The foot of the cross is level, but we don't demonstrate that and we don't live that out practically. Yeah. And so AA, they really live that out practically. And now where they miss it is the gospel. 
Mm-hmm. Like they they yep. they get off the rails with define your own higher power and like that's where it gets off the rails. But they 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 have established a place of admission. Yeah. And here's what next comes when there's a place of admission, then there's a place of acceptance. Like that's where you'll hear in AA, me too. Like oh okay, acceptance. Jesus said the best in John six. He said, "Whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out." Mm. How often does the church cast people out? Wow. Yeah. And and again, I learned this from Jeff. That's what makes the church not a safe place is because when they do, if they do have the courage to find mission, then they get cast out. They're, they're not accepted. Now, I'm going to get to there is discipline. There is there has to be behavior change. I, I like I get that. But it ought not to go from admission to behavior change. It's got to be like I work. We're going to come around you and take care of you. Yeah. That's acceptance. And if we have, if we become a community, a gospel centered community that has admission and acceptance, then it's going to lead to this place of attunement. If Jesus is accurate about, or the writer of Hebrews is accurate, then we had Jesus who was, is truly attuned to us where he says in Hebrews four, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us or able to attune to us. How come? With with our weakness. But we who in every respect have been tempted as we were yet without sin. So he can't attune to us because he knows where we're prone to because he himself was tempted in every way. The acronym I found online for attunement is this. uh, um, Attune is this. We need a space in the church to have a place of awareness of sin. Like I thought, I would hope that would be the first place. We come into church, we're aware of sin. So awareness, instead of having a community that turns away from people, we would, the T is turn towards people. Mm. And then this is where people get really ruffled. We'd also have a tolerance for them. Now, I don't mean we tolerate sin. But we understand sin enough and we welcome sin so that we can not cast them off, but tolerate it. Like, man, sinful people are going to come in your building. Yeah. So you have tolerance for it. But you also have understanding for it because you understand you are just as capable of that sin as they are. That's what Jesus says. That's what the writer of Hebrews says, which then the end is now we have a non-defensive response. to We have a loving response to people. Mm-hmm not a defensive response to people, Mm. which then will always lead to high levels of empathy. Mm. We empathize with people. That's that's what attunement looks like. Here's what Dan Allender says about attunement. I love it. It's one of my favorite quotes that he says about attunement, about the pain of people, about the sin of people. He said, attunement is about bearing witness to the crimes that have been committed against another. And the marring of that person's glory as a result. Like it's good, man. Again, when I think of your story and my story, Jeff, mm. like there may not be things that were uh, criminal in nature that someone could have get arrested for. I mean, maybe my parents dropping me and banning me at an airport. And I, I don't say that to downplay it, but when we abandon people emotionally, spiritually, physically 
like I think of some of the stories you shared and uh, I won't share them all, but if we could have seen what happened to your heart based on some of those events, that was, they were criminal acts. Yeah. I mean, they were super wounding. Yep. Now we didn't get to see it externally, but if, if your insides would have been displayed on your outside, we'd have been like, man, that, that dude got beat. Like somebody beat him to a pulp. Mm-hmm. Which would have been a criminal a criminal act. Yeah. And so yeah. what Dan and I understand is our attunement is we recognize every sinner that comes in because we live in a fallen, broken world. There have been criminal acts that have been done to that person that's leading them to do what they're doing. Yeah. One of the greatest gifts I received in my work with you guys is that you actually gave language to the deep pain that I didn't know how to feel. Like you you didn't, and I think that attunement part is when it's like, okay, that, that is sad. That is painful. That really hurts. That was abandonment. That was abuse, whatever. When you gave language to it, it allowed me to feel. And for so long, and I think we do this all the time. We downplay the wounds. We, we try to minimize the pain. We try to let that voice of our you know little child that wants to cry out and say like this is painful this hurts will someone help me we just go no, no you don't get to we're going to stuff that little guy we're not going to listen to him we're not going to let him show up there's no we don't have empathy for ourselves at all no nope. i mean De- chuck DeGroat is you know really confronting narcissism in the church and saying like that's one of the evidences that you have a narcissistic cultures there's no em- empathy right you know it's like buck up man get over it like you're Stop being so weak, man. Yeah, that right. is that is the the beginning of it. That is the key sign that you've got an abusive culture. That's right. When you have zero empathy. That's so true. Which means as pastors, we've got to ask ourselves, how much empathy do I have? Yes. Yep. Like I, I've got to ask the question as the lead guy on my staff, if my staff doesn't have empathy, if the people under me don't have intimacy, <laughs> do I have it? Yeah. Yeah. Am, I, am I creating a culture of empathy? That's right. Yeah. I don't think there's like a neutral with those things. Like you, you either are creating a culture of that or not creating it. It's not like a stalemate. Right. One writer says this. I love what she says. She says that anything that is less than nurturing is abusive. Mm. Anything that is less than nurturing is abusive by nature. I'd ponder that for a little while. When I heard that, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I better do it. I better look at myself and how I relate to people. I relate to myself. I relate to my wife. I relate to my kids, my church. Anything less than nurturing is abusive. Mm. Again, there's no neutral. Wow. We're either bringing life or killing life. Mm. I think that's, you see that throughout the gospel. Yeah. That's not yeah. new. That's, that is the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. So we we're admit flesh or we're going to live in the spirit. Yeah. So we're, we're admitting, we're finding a place of acceptance where there's real attunement. And that passage you read in Hebrews, that word sympathy, just to explain it, I don't think oftentimes we know what that means, but it means Jesus is able to feel with us what we're feeling while we're feeling it. That's right. <laughs> it's just. Wow. I mean, there, if you're out there and you're like, man, does anybody know what I feel 
The answer is yes, Jesus does. Amen. Which is why for us, the only hope is ultimately we find the only human who's perfectly lived this life and fully felt everything we feel and will with us feel it That's so right. that we can find our hope and help in him. So, so true. Yeah. And when we have that, so, you know, the first place is admission, acceptance, attunement. Then when we have attunement, we will have attachment. So I, we always give the illustration here is to think about the old radios, right? We had to tune in to the station, right? If I was one, like, it was like, you know, 101.3 and I was at 101.5 or 101.1, like the music would come through, but I couldn't really hear the music clearly. Therefore, I can't really attach to the music. So when I have a tune with another person, then I can really come to this place of attachment. And one writer says this about attachment. Attachment is the emotional bond. That's the attachment piece, the holding of hands, mm-hmm. the, heart, mm-hmm. the emotional bond that we develop with a person who will be there for you and who truly knows you. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. answers the question that every heart has. Attachment answers the question. The human heart asks two questions all day, every day. Do I matter and do I belong? Hmm. Attachment answers that with yes, you matter and you belong. Hmm. And we know that true. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus tells us at the very end. He's going to give us uh, his spirit and his with him. He says, I'll always be with you. In Romans hmm. 8, he says, nothing can separate you from me. What if we became the church that would live those things out? Yeah. I think about your story, my story, Jeff, of how often the church didn't do that with us. They weren't with us to the end. Yeah. And there was a lot of things that would separate them from us. Right. Yeah. We talk about this thing called the church and how we're family and how we're to model the gospel. And oftentimes the church does the exact opposite of what we say is our core value, which is the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Like the church in my life, your life, like, how often does it look like abandonment, not attachment? Yeah, yeah. No wonder people aren't getting back to how God created them because the very thing that God gave us in the church to represent himself to us is the church is causing the pace of great pain, yeah. which is not attachment, which is abandonment. Yeah, and it's what Jesus prayed for, right? In John 17, Father's I'm in you and you are in me. May they be in us and may they be one. In other words, may they be attached to one another, just like we're attached. And then right. Jesus promises, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Why? Because if we've got that with him, we can also do that with each other. Yeah. Which then leads to the last one. And I think the church wants to go from admission to alignment. Mm. Go like, hey, you've done these things. Now let's correct your behavior. Now, I believe that there has to be corrective behavior, but I think there's some steps, the admission, the acceptance, the attunement, the attachment, that then the attachment can lead to what our fifth A is, alignment or correction, is discipline. We -hmm. would say that we want to do that through healthy confrontation. Healthy confrontation means with face, bring face, bring all of you to all of them. And we know this to be true. Hebrews 12, God disciplines those he loves. Yeah. But remember, the gospel says you've had a place of admission. You've had a place of acceptance. You've had a, the gospel attuned to you and him with you. You, you have a, a place of uh, a place of attachment with the gospel. And then there comes correction. Yeah. 
But how often does the church bypass? We do a spiritual bypass. We go from confession and mission to like, let's get their behavior right. If they don't get their behavior right, we're going to stick them on the shelf. Yeah. But it's, it's scriptures are really clear. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. Like it's it's all that relationship stuff that yeah. you've been talking about to get to alignment. Yeah. And yet we you're right. We jump from, hey, you did something wrong, change your behavior, and that's just not how God has ever treated us. No, I again, I, I believe it's really the slogan of Young Life. Young Life says the kids don't care what you know until they know you care. Um, another writer says this about, and I've held on to this since I was in college. Um, Andy Stanley in his book, The Seven Checkpoints, says this. Uh, I'll paraphrase a little bit, but he basically says every discipleship relationship, that's what you're talking about. That's what your model is, discipleship. Mm-hmm. He says this, every discipleship relationship has to build bridges from the discipler to the disciplee that can what? Hit handle or hold the the, the weight of truth. Hmm. So am I building a relationship with people that I can really bring the weight of truth to people? We wonder so often, like, how come the truth is crumbling between the relationship? Because I'd say there's, you haven't built the bridge that can hold the weight of truth. That's right. And that's what we want to do. That's the model here at Tin Man. Yeah. In my time with Robin, who is my Tin Man coach and guide, it was it took it was a while before he said, "Hey, can I confront you?" Try can can I can I? And it was like because we didn't have enough trust in the beginning for him to be able to do that with me, and I was coming so insecure, so broken, so wounded, so afraid, so full of shame and just self contempt that like I couldn't handle someone confronting me right. that the way he was gonna. But by the time we had built that bridge. I wanted it. Like I was welcoming it. And I just was so, cause I knew he cared about me and we had enough relational trust for me to be able to handle the truth. One of our things that we really hold to be true here at Tin Man that really makes uh, everything that we do work is this. We, we say this, we've been harmed in relationship. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to find healing in relationship. So our desire is that we would create spaces with men and women between our coaches that that man or that woman with our coach is finding a place of relationship that they can find healing in. And a lot of times people say to us, man, I've never shared this with anyone. No one's ever done this with me. Why? Because they become in a relationship that's healthy, that then they, like you said, that healthy relationship, then there can be correction because there's trust that's been built. There's a relationship that's been built. And then you, like you just said it, over time you knew that Robin cared about you and loved you and wanted what was best for you. And so therefore you, but that took, that was not in the first session, first month, I would imagine with Robin. No, and I know it took Robin, a while. He's going to confront people with love and it's, um, yeah, he, he does. He's one of my closest friends. He confronts me all the time. So I know what it's like to be confronted by him, but I need that. But he also has the relationship with me to do that. Yeah. And because of that, because of that confrontation, it's really what brings me to a place of true holiness, becoming more like Jesus. It's people in my life, the church confronting me, making me back in line with the gospel to live out the gospel. So that's how we see man and woman. We want everyone to get back to how God created them to be so they could go do what God created them to do. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of our process, how we do I love it. it. Well, I'm, I've been, I'm still getting transformed by it. And, 
it's changing how I, how I parent, like that whole statement about nurturing. Oh my goodness. Like when you said, I was like, yeah, I, I've got so much in my past that I had to be kind with myself about because I didn't, I didn't know any different and, and, and I wasn't even able to do any different. But, um, you know, if you, if my kids were on this, this podcast right now, they would say uh, like they have a different dad. Mm-hmm. My wife has a different husband. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so man, I'm just so thankful for this process in my own life and continue to do the work. And one thing you didn't say that I just want to really emphasize is, one of the reasons why Robin could confront me is because Robin also was doing this work. Like yeah. it's, you know, it's like I knew on the other side of me was another person who also was as needy, right. was also broken, who also, and he wasn't hiding that. He wasn't, he wasn't coming in as the expert and I was the one in need. It was like, we're both needy. Yeah. We always started out with it. You know, we do an emotional check-in. So we're like feeling check-in. We're both showing up as needy people. And, uh, man, I just, if I could say one thing to the church right now, I'd be like, let's all learn to be needy together in ways that we lead each other into health, where we show up with our hearts. You know, I mean, that process of admission, acceptance, attunement, attachment, so we can experience true alignment to the will of God. We really can begin to look like the image bearers he created us to be. Uh, So, man, I'm thankful for you, Todd. And the work you do and the blessing that I've received as a result of it. I, I am, I do want people to know if they want to take steps forward to get any of the help like that I've received, um, what would you recommend? And, and certainly like maybe a book or a book or so, you've already said one, but maybe a book um, and some next steps uh, with Tin Man. I think probably the best thing would be like pick up the voice of the heart Bible study that's written by uh, Jeff Schulte and, Bill Herndon, Jeff Schulte is our CEO. He's our president. Uh, he wrote a tremendous Bible study through the eight feelings that how to really kind of begin the process of invoking our own story. Uh, if you're on the call and you're like, man, I need to skip the Bible study. I'm, my hair is on fire. Like, or there's something that even the spirit may be invoking you in this, this uh, podcast that you're like, man, I, I need a deeper dive in the emotional world to, for healing so I can help people. Just contact us. You can go on the web. It's tinmanministries.org, tinman.life. You can find us there as well. Or just email me directly. I do all of our intakes. I do do all the Q&As to anyone that comes uh, to us. So my my email is todd at tinman.life. And uh, what what will happen in that is you'll jump on a 15, 20-minute call with me. We'll kind of walk through some things. And then I'll place you with one of our, you know, very gospel center coaches that can, can help. So those are some of the things, uh, uh, some resources, another book, if you want to read, uh, I think, um, the soul of shame by Kurt Thompson, a great book. I think the, the truth is we all deal with shame. I think that's the core of all of our feelings. You'll see that, uh, in Genesis two and three, you know, they were naked on shame. They sin, they have shame. They hide themselves from God. So all of us, on the planet deal with some level of toxic shame. And that's a great book for that. And I think the one you mentioned at the beginning, uh, renovated is what it's called. It's the work of, uh, really Dallas Willard. It's his last really work is, and he would say it was this, the, the thing he wish he would have started with, not finished with. And Jim Wilder wrote that, but it's a, it's a fabulous book. Another great book I'm kind of in the middle of is, uh, I'm giving you a lot of resources, but it's been transformational for me is, uh, Redeeming Heartache uh, by Dan Allen. That, that, that's been a book uh, God's used in my life in the last several months. So those are some resources. Mm-hmm. We're here to help. We are 
a ministry that we're a 10 man. Um, we're not just for men. We're not just for pastors. We're for anyone that has kind of wandered away from their hearts and want to want, want to find their heart again. So we do uh, individual female male work. We, and we also do couple work. Um, we do take, if you have a, an older teenager, I'd say 18 to, you know, or in college, we'll, we'll, uh, we have some staff that are really, uh, gifted with that age group. So really 18 and above is who we, is our specialty. So, man, I'm so thankful for you. And I, I, listeners, I just encourage you to take steps in any one of these ways, whether it's the book, uh, reaching out to Tin Man, uh, to Todd, to get, get the help you need. Um, we're only going to be able to give away what we've received. And so mm-hmm. I just encourage you to take that seriously. Also, uh, as the next step, if you're wondering, are there, is there more training on this? We're going to be doing a wholehearted, I'm going to be in Huntsville, Alabama on September 23rd and 24th, doing a wholehearted discipleship uh, training where we really look at how do we take what Todd just talked about and then create spaces for people to begin to work out of their hearts and work on their hearts together. So I'll be doing that. Um, looking forward to being in Huntsville. Uh, if you want more opportunities uh, to learn, get get involved with Saturate, become a member, uh, subscriber, so you can get more and more of the content. Uh, we're just trying to serve the church as best as possible. And um, uh, our desire, like I said at the beginning, is we gotta have, have healthy leaders. We're not gonna lead people where, where we haven't been. So thanks again for listening. Hope you were blessed by it. Todd, thanks again. It's really a blessing to be with you. It's an honor to be with you too, Jeff. And, you know, we we love our partnership relationship with you and Saturate and your partnership with the gospel to get men healthy to go take the gospel to the four corners of the world. So mm. we're just grateful to even be in this partnership with you. So mm. thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot.